Good morning. I just want to say you look amazing, and I'm glad to see you this morning. So thank you. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of uh, leading us in God's word this morning. So we're beginning our series with our Christmas series, and of course, we're going to start with some Calvin and Hobbes. When are we going to get a Christmas tree? Uh, I don't know. Probably a little after New Year's. After New Year? Sure, we can just go up the street, pick the best tree from the neighbor's driveways. What? Sometimes there's still tinsel on the tree, too, so you don't even have to decorate it. We'll save time and money. Okay, what did your dad tell you this time? So our series is with, and this morning we're talking about with us in reality. So we're going to be going through Luke for um, Christmas season, and we're starting this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So if you want to go ahead and pull out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4. And the question we're asking is this, how can we experience Jesus with us this Christmas season? And uh, the first answer to that question is this, celebrate what he accomplished. And so let's look at the first verse here in Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete, compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So Luke is right. So Luke wrote the, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And... Uh, and he says here in Luke 1 that, that he is writing a narrative, compiling a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So that word accomplished, some other translations, we're in the ESV here, some other translations use the word fulfilled. And so no doubt that includes, that Luke has in mind, they accomplished the fulfillment of what the Old Testament was promising, that the Messiah would come. And Luke, he's here. I mean, I'm writing this book to present the Messiah. He has come. Frank Turek and Norm Geisler in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's a great title, isn't it? Uh, great book, if you want. It's a book on apologetics. So Frank Turek and Norm Geisler tell this story about a guy named Gary, a Jewish student at UCLA, talking with a campus minister named Hal. And so this is years ago. And so Hal is telling Gary, hey, look at all these Old Testament prophecies that, that Jesus fulfilled. There's just there's so many of them, a ton of them. And, and Hal is pretty skeptical. And so Gary starts looking, uh, looking up verses and showing him. And Hal says, look at all these. This, this is pointing to Jesus, the Old Testament. All these prophecies, it just points to Jesus being the Messiah. And Gary says, you're using a trick Bible. And Hal says, what do you mean a trick Bible? And Gary says, you're using a trick Bible. You Christians, you just, you rewrite the Old Testament 
to fit what you say Jesus did. So after Jesus came, you changed the Old Testament. When you, you like rewrote in these, old, these prophecies so Jesus would fulfill them. And, and Hal says, what? What are you talking about? No, we, we don't. It's really in there. Do you, have, do you have, Gary, do you have an Old Testament at home? And Gary's, Gary says, yeah, I got one for my bar mitzvah. And so Hal says, go home, open it up, and look at these verses. And he, he shows them some verses to look up. And in this story, they say that Hal, he, he wouldn't do it for like a couple of weeks. He was so angry. And then finally, after a few weeks, he, he opened up his, his Old Testament. And he started reading it, these verses that, that Hal had told him. And he was amazed. It's like, it's right here. It's not a trick Bible that Hal was using. And so one of these verses that, that Hal had given him was, well, chapter 53 of Isaiah. And so he, he had read Isaiah 53, and then he went to his rabbi at the synagogue and said, Rabbi, I'm really puzzled here. This Isaiah 53, it looks a lot like it's talking about Jesus. So I'm talking to this guy on campus named Hal. What do I tell him? Like, as a Jew, what, what do I say? And the rabbi says, well, I admit that sounds a lot like Jesus, but, but we Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so that can't be, can't be what he's talking about. And Gary's like, well, I smell a rat. That's not a great approach to truth, right? Well, I don't believe in Jesus, so therefore this can't be talking about Jesus. So you know what? Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ. Something really interesting is, any of you heard about Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls were found maybe about uh, 20 or 30 years ago, some shepherd boy was uh, throwing rocks into a cave near the Dead Sea. That's why they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, uh, and one of those rocks like, made a clinking sound, and so he went to investigate, and he discovered these scrolls. And the scrolls have every Old Testament book except for, I think it's the book of Esther. And something amazing is in those scrolls is Isaiah 53. And guess what? It's the same. The prophecies are there, and they're dated 100 to 200 years before Christ. Right? So there's no way that could have been written into the Old Testament. Dead Sea Scrolls were a huge discovery. I want to read for us Isaiah 53. And as I read this for us, it's on the screen. If you want to look it up in your Bibles, you can. But just, I encourage you to listen to this and ask yourself, is this, is this talking about Jesus? Is there any other possibility? Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. With his soul, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and ye shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Sounds like a trick Bible to me, but it's not. To prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled it. Some scholars say there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Christ. That's a lot. William Lane Craig says this Fortunately, Christianity is peculiar in that it is a religion which is rooted in historical events. It makes claims which can therefore be investigated historically. So that's what, that's what Luke's point is here. He's, he says he did, the, he did the, uh, the investigating. He compiled all these stories, and he came up with the story of Jesus. Historical facts, things that actually happened. This is real history. So what did Jesus accomplish? I want to just mention four more things, kind of in summary. Birth. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God wanted to reveal himself to us, so he became a man. The incarnation. And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. Jesus with us. God with us, God making himself known. Life, and Jesus' life, says in uh, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So in Jesus' life, 
he lived a life of love. And we see throughout the Gospel of Luke and through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see he lived a life of love. We see his love for us, and we also see an example for us to follow. That we also ought to love one another. Another historical event is his death. He died on a cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see there the reference to Isaiah 53, too, there in Peter. By his wounds you have been healed. It's a historical event. His birth, an historical event. Born in Bethlehem, fulfilling prophecy. His life, a life of love, fulfilling prophecy. His death on a cross, bearing our sins, bringing us healing and reconciliation, a historical event. And then the resurrection, an historical event, fulfilling prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 57 says this, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, historical events, they really happened. He accomplished them. He accomplished all these things for who? For me and for you. In John 6, 29, we see this. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. What do we do with all this? The only work that God requires of us is that we put our faith in him, that we believe in the one that he sent. Here at Cold Springs Church, we just say, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. What does that look like? Very simple. Admit that you're a sinner. A simple prayer might be, Jesus, I am a sinner. I am a broken person, and I know that I am broken and messed up, and I have sinned against you. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. Jesus, I believe you, that you are, you are the one who came and died on the cross for me, and there is no other way to be forgiven and to be made right with you. So I trust you. I surrender to you. And then choose, choose to follow Christ. Jesus, I, I, I surrender. You are God, and I trust you. I trust you with my life. I give you my life. I will follow you. I will obey you. I will seek you, because you are where life is at. Say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's, this is the first time you've heard that, and you're like, I, I wanna, I'm saying yes to Jesus. You know, there's a, there should be a little card in the, in the chair back in front of you. And just encourage you on the prayer card, just write in there or check the box that says, I'm saying yes to Jesus. We would love to connect with you. All right, number two, how can we experience Jesus with us this Christmas season? Share in the stories. Share in the stories. Look at verses two and three here in Luke. It says, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Theophilus means friend of God or lover of God. 
And most excellent is the title of uh, probably a, a Roman official that he's writing to, but, but Luke definitely has in mind a wider audience. He wrote, he wrote Luke to convince people, believers and non-believers, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is a son of God, that Jesus is where life is at. And he says here that just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he has, he has gotten his information from eyewitness accounts. Most, mostly this probably refers to the apostles, the 12 apostles. Now Luke, in Acts, we know that Luke traveled with Apostle Paul quite a bit. You see in Acts, he has like, we did this, we did that. Then Paul went there, Paul went there. Then we went there, we went there. So Paul, uh, Paul Luke was an, a, a, a traveler with Paul for much of uh, for much of Paul's journeys. And, uh, and so Luke, no doubt, got a lot of his information from the other apostles as he interacted with them over, over the time. And, uh, but no doubt, also, he interviewed other people, other eyewitnesses. And so you kind of wonder, like, who did he talk to? Elizabeth, Zachariah, Mary, the shepherds, the man healed from a demon, Peter, Peter's mother-in-law, the leper, the paralytic, Matthew, the man with a withered hand. I don't know how far you can read down there, but... So you know what I thought it would be, I thought it would be good to do? Is to just do like an, a little kind of a, a flyover view of stories in Luke. And, and so I'm just going to... I'm just going to read like a verse. We're just going to kind of fly over Luke and look at the stories of people's lives that were changed. And uh, are you feeling interactive this morning? You still have a voice after singing hallelujah a lot? I, I do. I have a voice. So I, I expect you have a voice. So this is going to be interactive. So I'll tell you when, when I need you to, to speak up here. So, so Luke 1.13 says, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. So some of these stories, some of these you, you, you'll recognize. You'll be like, I know this story. And some of them you'll, you might be like, ah, I've forgotten that one, or I haven't heard that in a while. <clears throat> so then I'm going to say Elizabeth and Zachariah, and then you're going to respond, lives change forever. So let's try it. Okay. So don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Elizabeth and Zechariah. In Luke 1, 30, 31, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Mary. Luke 2.10, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The shepherds. Be quiet. Come out of the man, Luke 4.35. The man healed from a demon. 
Luke 4.39, standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Simon's mother-in-law. Luke 5, 8-10, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter, after a miraculous catch of fish. Luke 5, 12 to 13. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. A leper. Luke 5, 20 and 24. Young man, your sins are forgiven. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The paralytic lowered through the roof to Jesus. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Luke 5. Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. Luke 6.10. Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. A man with a withered hand. And Luke 7.10. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed, a centurion's dying servant. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. That's Luke 7.15. A widow's only son. Now go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. A demon-possessed man. In Luke 8, 48, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. In Luke 9, 42, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. Awe gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. The boy healed of an unclean spirit. Luke 13, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. Oh, how she praised God. A woman bent double for 18 years. Luke 14, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. The man with dropsy healed on the Sabbath. Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of the leprosy. That's Luke 17. The 10 lepers healed. Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. That's Luke 23. The centurion at the cross. Luke 24. Then the man asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary at the tomb. 
Luke 24, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. That's the disciples and the resurrected Jesus. Luke 24, then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him. The disciples in Bethany when Jesus ascended. That's a lot of lives changed forever, isn't it? What's your story? Would you include your story in one of the lives changed forever? My story includes verse, Mark, verse 835 of Mark. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's when I was 18 years old, and I didn't know what my purpose in life was. And I read that verse, and I realized... Jesus is where life is at. And my life changed forever. What's your story? Here at Cold Springs, we recognize that we all have a story. And each of our stories is a story of God and his faithfulness and his grace and his love and the fact that he changes lives forever. And he's changed ours so one of the things that we love to do is to share our stories. And so, by the way, if you, if you would like to share your story, there are ways to do that. And I'm actually the story-sharing person, so contact me. So and actually, on the website, uh, if you click on Events, there's a, there's a tab on there, a picture. You'll see this image on Events, on the Events page. Share your story. And uh, I think my email's on there. You can email me. But there's different ways. You can, you can write a short blog post. You can do a little short video. But we want to encourage each other by sharing our stories. John Piper says this, We weren't meant to be somebody. We were meant to know somebody. We read all these stories in Luke. We see all these lives that were changed forever. And they were changed by, by so many of them were healings, miraculous healings. And it's so helpful to remember, like, the, the joy, the, the life, it's not in the healing. It's in the person who did the healing. It's Jesus. Jesus, it's knowing him is where life is at. It's not his gift. It's him. We were meant to know somebody. Mark 3.14, I love this. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, it says this, he appointed, he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So why did he, why did he in, in, include these 12? Why did he invite these, these 12 disciples to, to follow him? That they might be with him because that's when lives are changed, right? It's simply by being with Jesus. Revelation 21.3 says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will live with them. He will be with them. 
That's what we were meant for, right? God with us. All right, number three, how can we experience Jesus with us this Christmas season? Consider the catalysts. Luke 1.4 says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's, that's, why, that's why Luke wrote the book of Luke. So that we would have certainty confidence that these things are true, that these things really happened, that Jesus really was born, that Jesus really did all these miracles, that he really did teach these things. He really is the Messiah. He really came 2,000 years ago. He, he really was born in Bethlehem. He really did die on a cross for you and for me. And yes, he really did rise from the grave. Historical facts that we can be certain. And in our certainty, what do we do with that? How can we live in that certainty? Maybe you heard this before. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it grows. What does that look like to have our faith muscle grow? There's four things I just want to highlight, four catalysts to growing our faith muscle. Number one is just knowing his works. What does he do? And we read the gospel, Luke, we read all four gospels, and we see his works. We read all the scripture, and we see his works. We see what he does, and then we experience what he does in our lives. I have a list here. Just listen to this list of what he does, of his works. He sees. He sees you. He serves you. He hears you. He answers you. He weeps with you. He invites you. He draws you. He loves you. He saves you. He heals you. He creates you. He restores you. He reconciles you. He gives you. He renews you, and he provides you and there are so many more but what a list all the things that God does his works and then his character who is he he is good he is just he's loving he is perfect he is holy he is worthy and so we surrender we grow our faith muscle by saying Yes, Lord, you are these things, and you do these things, so I surrender to you. Know his truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. John 8, 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you know his truth? Do you long to know his truth more and more and more? Do you long for his word so that you could be free? Know his promises. When we know his promises, then we put our trust in his promises, and then we obey him and surrender our lives to him. And then when we do that, we experience him fulfilling his promises, and then our faith muscle grows. Here are a few promises 
He receives those who come to him. He doesn't cast anyone away who comes to him. He forgives those who confess. He forgives those who confess. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin that only you know about deep inside your heart, whatever that is, Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He satisfies those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you hungry and you hunger and thirst. He gives eternal life to those who believe in him. Oh, what a wonderful promise. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. Oh, by the way, the whole quote's not going to be on the screen, so you have to listen well here. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to, to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought. Throwing out a new wing there, putting on a new extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little college, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. What is God's purpose? Why did he come? What does he want with you? It's that word with. He wants to be with you. He wants to dwell within you. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. Your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection are real history. You have changed so many lives and you've changed and you are changing mine and you're making me into a palace I give you permission because your presence in my life is what I long for and we pray in Jesus name Amen